This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O.P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, the UAW makes a new counter offer to GM and Ford lays off hundreds more amid the ongoing strike against the Detroit Three. Incentives are likely to go back down as the strike persists and GM and Stellantis may face billions of dollars in U.S. fuel economy fines. Plus, we'll hear about the risk of the UAW strike delaying new vehicle rollouts. The longer this goes, the more implications. There's a lot of uh, not just redesigns, but there are a lot of facelifts and just build-outs that are potentially impacted by this uh, over the course of the next few weeks. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW has made a counteroffer to General Motors' latest contract proposal, but the automaker said significant gaps remain between the two sides. A GM spokesperson said the automaker met with UAW leaders Monday, and the union presented a counter to the company's proposal from September 21st. The offer is being assessed. The UAW declined to comment on the status of negotiations Monday. A source familiar with the negotiations told Automotive News that it was the union's first comprehensive counter to GM's most recent proposal. Meanwhile, Ford has laid off about 330 workers from its stamping plant in Chicago and an engine plant in Lima, Ohio. Both sites supply parts to the Chicago assembly plant. Workers there walked off the job Friday as part of the union's latest strike expansion. Ford said it now has laid off a total of 930 workers in connection with the strike. The UAW strike against Ford GM and Stellantis is now in its 19th day. About 25,000 UAW members are off the job and on the picket lines. The strike will prompt the Detroit Three to pare back the incentive deals they offer car shoppers. That's according to analysts from J.D. Power and Edmonds. However, incentives are already low industry-wide. J.D. Power Data and Analytics Vice President Tyson Jomini said automakers established incentives at the beginning of the sales month with the first incentive bulletins expected to appear overnight between Monday and Tuesday. In an email shared with Automotive News, he said the degree of the changes in incentives will be a clear sign of what the automakers anticipate for the duration of the strike. While he said incentive reductions are expected on many models, Pickup trucks are plentiful in inventory and are not likely to be affected much, if at all. Jomini said the union has not interfered with the production of full-size pickups. A GM spokesperson said the automaker's incentives have been quite low for some time. He said lower incentives were being driven by strong demand. A Stellantis spokesperson said the company doesn't provide information on future incentives, and a Ford spokesperson has not responded. 
In other Detroit 3 related news, the proposal by President Joe Biden's administration to hike fuel economy standards through 2032 could cost General Motors $6.5 billion in fines and Stellantis $3 billion. That's according to a letter from an industry group seen by Reuters. The American Automotive Policy Council, representing GM, Stellantis, and Ford, said in a letter to the U.S. Energy Department that the size of the expected penalties for not meeting proposed corporate average fuel economy requirements are alarming. GM and Stellantis declined to comment beyond the letter. Ford faces about $1 billion in penalties, the letter said. The previously unreported letter asked the Energy Department to reconsider its plan to devise the petroleum equivalency factor that would result in, quote, disproportionately higher compliance costs for U.S. automakers. Switching to sales results, GM, Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, and Kia continued to rack up U.S. sales gains in September and in the third quarter. They were helped by improved inventories, light truck demand, fleet shipments, and more generous incentives that gave a lift to retail deliveries. Third quarter sales rose 21% at GM, with volume up 21% at Chevrolet, 19% at GMC, 54% at Buick, and nearly 6% at Cadillac. GM has two U.S. assembly plants idled because of the UAW strike. The automaker said it ended September with more than 442,000 cars and light trucks in U.S. dealer inventory or in transit, up from nearly 428,000 at the close of the second quarter. Sales jumped 14% to nearly 204,000 at Toyota last month, with volume up 13% at the Toyota division and 21% at Lexus. Honda continues to rebound from severe supply constraints, with September sales jumping 46%, with volume rising 44% at the Honda division and 55% at Acura. Volume rose 16% to nearly 69,000 last month at Hyundai, with retail deliveries up 2% largely behind record Tucson and Santa Fe sales. Kia finished the month up 20% at just over 67,000, with retail volume advancing 14%. And Genesis posted record September sales of more than 6,600, up 35%, and record third quarter deliveries up 23%. Meanwhile, Mazda reported September deliveries rose 18% to just over 28,000. Later today, Subaru will report September sales while Nissan, Stellantis, and Volkswagen Group will release third-quarter deliveries. Ford and Volvo are expected to report September sales on Wednesday. And finally today, Tesla introduced a new base trim of the Model Y. The automaker's website shows it pushed down the U.S. price of admission for the popular crossover by $3,750 to less than $46,000 with shipping. The new Model Y variant appeared on Tesla's online configurator after the EV maker reported third-quarter global deliveries Monday that came in lower than the preceding quarter. Tesla blamed factory downtime. The entry-level Model Y has a single motor driving the rear wheels and 260 miles of range, a relatively low number for a Tesla vehicle. The previous base Model Y had two motors, all-wheel drive, and 279 miles of range before it disappeared from Tesla's website last month. The new variant may be using a more inexpensive lithium-ion battery similar to the one used in the base Model 3 sedan. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the UAW has been very outspoken about the Detroit 3's approach at the bargaining table. 
But why has it taken so long for the UAW to make a counteroffer to GM? You know, the union's complaint has been that uh, they put their demands out there and the automakers, you know, didn't do a lot of passing back and forth of proper offers until pretty close to the deadline. Uh, since then, the automakers have been pretty present, but the UAW has been kind of slow in responses. You know, they got three offers from the automakers on September 21st, didn't really respond to any of them until last Thursday. Uh, when it gave an offer back to Stellantis and Stellantis turned right back around the next morning with another counter of its own. So there's a lot of frustration on the automaker side, especially after there were those leaked messages that indicated the union is looking for, you know, not just weeks, but maybe months of chaos and reputational damage. There's a, a lot of concern on the automaker side that the UAW is just dragging this out. So, and the, the slow responses on the offers is, it definitely feeds into that. Yeah, Jamie, and if the strike does drag out for weeks or months, that might have some implications for new vehicle rollouts. We'll talk about that next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised, shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The UAW strike against the Detroit 3 is already affecting production of some important models, but there's also growing concern about what it could mean for new and refreshed models as well. Earlier today, I moderated a panel hosted by the Society of Automotive Analysts. It featured Plant Moran's Austin Bissner, J.D. Powers' Luke Donahue, 
Jeff Schuster of Global Data, Anne Marie Utes from Foley and Lardner, Mike Wall of SP Global Mobility, and Riveron Consulting's Steve Weibo. We talked about this and other pressing issues in the auto industry and took questions from the audience. Here's a piece of that conversation. You know, I guess the, the first question is sort of, you know, how long would the strike need to last to actually start disrupting launch schedules? And, you know, how does it trickle down from there? That's a critical consideration right now because we do have a number of vehicles that are either in launch mode or in ramp up mode. And what we've seen over the, you know, the last 18 months or so, the ramp up of a battery electric vehicle looks a lot different than a ramp up of a of an ICE vehicle already. So we've got some of those challenges. You know, we've got new technology, new hardware, new software, new workers, new plants. That's a lot of new to kind of harmonize through the system. And then we we throw out a uh, you know possible plant disruption out there. It it is going to run the risk of staging out, delaying not just Bev but ICE vehicles as well, ICE ICE launches as well. And there are a number of of new launches coming down the pike. So you know, again, if you're a supplier looking on these programs and some of these plants are falling falling victim to to that downtime, you know, stay in constant coordination with your upstream customer or you know even the even the automaker as well because that is going to provide some additional incremental risk. I, I think it's hard to avoid that given what we're seeing out there in terms of the disruption uh, that's impacting some of these plant level actions. Just to add on that, it gets get specific. The addition of uh, Lansing Delta Township with the Traverse and Acadia redesign uh, that that certainly is very strategic uh, addition. Obviously, they they went after um, mid SUVs, but but that one in particular with that going into the SOP later this year could certainly be at risk depending on how long this goes. Um, uh, any duration there will will push all of that progress uh, through pre-production to final uh, start of production out a bit. Uh, so I think that definitely is at risk. Uh, obviously the build out of the current model, uh, which is all there to support inventory levels in the in the segment while they ramp up the new model, all of that gets at risk in the in the supply base. The implications there are, are significant as well. So yeah, the the longer this goes, the more implications. There's a lot of uh, not just redesigns, but there are a lot of facelifts and just build outs um, that are potentially impacted by this uh, over the course of the next few weeks. I think we talk, Steve and I talk a lot about leverage with our supplier clients, and and here is an area because. Sometimes we'll have folks who are trying to negotiate for cost recovery on the one hand, and maybe they don't have the straightest line to success with that discussion, but the OE needs something from them on the other hand, whether it's it's capital to start a new line or whatnot. So the crossover of those issues can really help position a supplier for success. I encourage suppliers to not just be thinking about the one issue they've got with the OE that they're trying to renegotiate or come to success on, think across the board. What do they need from you? You know, you may have to continue supplying something at a crappy margin or, you know, lower volumes or whatever, because you're stuck under the contract doing that. And yet they may want you to sign on to invest capital for something else or, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of times the solution comes from mixing all of your leverage from these different issues. And they're all in play right now. This very question about delayed launches, you know, raises it. Even while we've got disruption from a strike, you've got to be thinking about the launches. And again, what do they need from you? That's usually the way to be successful in those negotiations is to identify that one thing. Leverage. There you have it. My favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, Jeff, you're breaking my heart there. The one, uh, the one actually redesigned vehicle we had at the Detroit Auto Show, and uh, and now you're telling me it's it's a, a key target of the UAW. Yeah, sorry about that, Jamie. There was there wasn't uh, wasn't too much new there to to look at. That's shiny and new, and uh, yeah, one of them uh, certainly is in jeopardy. Uh, we had a question on the sources. You know, we we still haven't seen the federal guidance on the uh, foreign entity of concern rule and how that's going to actually uh, grow its teeth. Uh, but we have a question about the vehicles uh, for the vehicles that are receiving the. $7,500 tax credit, specifically Tesla, where are their rare earth metals sourced from? And if it's from China, will they, what will they do to uh, be able to get tap into the credit going forward? So I think what's interesting when you look at the, the legislation, ultimately it's either mined or processed. So the critical minerals may be mined in a, a different country, however, they're being processed domestically. So looking at Tesla, They've been going through significant activity to localize a lot of their processing, such as cathode active materials, uh, GM, obviously partnering with POSCO in Quebec, Canada. Um, so the, the substrate of the raw material may not be actually mined within the USMCA region. However, it is being processed, which would still qualify under the critical minerals requirement. So I think that's something to continue to watch. And we see a lot of investment related to the processing facilities here locally. So they're able to secure some of that $7,500 tax credit for their consumers. Yeah, my, my favorite part of the provision in, in the Inflation Reduction Act is that we have this 30D heavily disciplined local processing of, of minerals, component, final assembly, all of these rules around income requirements. And then there's this entire 45W section, which says if you're a leasing company, you can ignore everything that we had in 30D. <laughs> uh, so 45W says if you're leasing the vehicle um, and OEM leasing companies uh, do qualify for that, you can pass through the $7,500 credit wherever you make it, wherever you manufacture it, as long as it, it is a clean uh, energy vehicle. So that applies for your PHEVs as well as your, your EVs that have a battery uh, capacity over a certain threshold. So that's why you see Hyundai, Kia, as well as Mercedes and BMW, Volvo being able to pass through that $7,500 tax credit despite um, not qualifying under the 30D provision in that area as well. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Tesla qualification, if they do figure out a way to pass through under 45W, why that will be a bit of a game changer as far as their uh, pricing component. You consider that a loophole or is it just a, a feature of it the was law? A, it was a loophole that I identified on uh, August 16th. 2021 <laughs> when uh when that or sorry uh on 2022 when when the legislation was passed so you read through it and uh, we're trying to put together the again that's when it was passed so you read through 45w and you're like wait just ignore everything that we just read and spent all this time trying to map out okay uh kind of a consumer ish question or looking for some analysis on vehicle ownership if a consumer drives many miles and keeps their vehicle a long time Questioner is asking, you know, it seems that an electric vehicle would not be the way to go. If you, the value, assuming the value of a five-year-old car with 100,000 miles on it might be near zero if it needs a new battery. Does that sort of analysis sound reasonable? Austin, do you have any comments on that? Any thoughts? Or uh, or you, Luke, either one of you, both would be good. Yeah, yeah definitely, Jim. I, I can start. So this is something we've actually looked at from a total cost of ownership perspective. Um, you know, with an EV, repair and maintenance costs are substantially less than an ICE. 
So, you know, think of brakes for an example. I don't know, I see you replacing those every, you know, 30, 50,000 miles, depending on how you drive. With regenerative braking, you know, brakes are replaced significantly, you know, less frequently. I think the the biggest mystery would be, you know, how long will these batteries last? Um, interesting enough, you know, there is a fleet of Teslas that are running around early on Model S's that have nearly a million miles and their battery state of health is around 80 to 85 percent. So, you know, if the batteries are able to withstand the life of a vehicle, the TCO of a EV is actually, you know, more financially viable than an ICE. Interesting. Yeah, I would add on that the uh, current prices for a new battery are, are very high. Uh, but as everyone on this call understands that volumes help drive down component costs. So uh, when we're looking at, you know, F-150 Lightning, for example, the batteries that were produced last year for the first 20,000 or so units they sold, those might be $30,000 batteries. But if you're looking at, at producing two, 300,000 of these things per year, you start driving down the individual costs pretty substantially. Um, when we look at case studies like the Nissan Leaf, uh, we had the same articles that came out in 2008, 2009 around those vehicles that said, hey, it's a $14,000 battery. It doesn't make sense. You're going to be kind of uh, SOL if those go, go wrong. Um, yet we continue to see stories and, and um, have evidence and actual uh, recordings of Leafs that are able to replace their batteries for twelve to fourteen hundred dollars uh, with brand new batteries at two hundred fifty thousand miles. So you might have fourteen-year-old vehicles, quarter million miles on them, get a new battery, and be able to get a whole you know another quarter million miles out of it for fourteen hundred dollars. So there's a lot that will change over time. Um, I do expect the component costs for batteries to replace batteries or battery modules in, in particular to drop substantially as volumes come up over the next five, six years. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer and Alicia Anderson. Today's episode includes reporting from our own Lindsey Van Hulley, John Hutter, David Phillips, and Lawrence Iliff. You can get the latest news on strike developments, sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look at how Toyota hopes to take on Tesla by radically rebooting its famed manufacturing system for its next generation of electric vehicles. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 